This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Last Friday, rapper Kanye West dropped his much-teased and highly anticipated album, Jesus is King. In much the same fashion as anything Kanye does, the reaction has been enormous and polarizing. For years, the Chicago artist has been one of the biggest pop culture personalities. From his critically acclaimed and chart-topping music, premium fashion line, controversial public persona, and his marriage to Kim Kardashian West. Many Christians have rejoiced in what they perceive as evidence of a true conversion. Other Christians have asked their fellow Christians to take a deep breath before welcoming Kanye into the fold. Still others have celebrated what this represents for Kanye's faith, while still feeling that like the album is one of his worst. Kanye's new album comes while the rapper has been organizing weekly pop-up religious services around the country. The Sunday services, as they are called, have drawn a number of celebrities like Katy Perry, ASAP Rocky, and Brad Pitt, and featured gospel music and preaching. Recently, Master Seminary grad Adam Tyson delivered the sermon for several weeks in a row this fall. While songs in Kanye's Jesus is King specifically reference scripture and theology, the rapper has long incorporated Christianity in his art, concerts, and music. And we wanted to talk about Kanye's long relationship with Christianity and what is and isn't different in 2019. You are listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss major cultural events. I'm Morgan Lee, digital media producer here at Christianity Today. And I'm Wes Jakaki, executive director of marketing operations and analytics. Wes, it is great to have you. And I do want to talk about are just like initial reactions to everything Kanye that is happening right now. But maybe before we do that, in two sentences, you could just say why you are on the show this week. And then you can tell us what your opinion is about all this Kanye news. Yeah, so I'm normally on the operations side of things here at CT. But when it came to doing this podcast about Kanye, Morgan went to Mark Galley about it. And Mark didn't seem like the foremost expert. And while I'm not the biggest Kanye expert, I've kind of grown up with his music starting at when I was a junior, when College Dropout came out. So I've certainly been around, listened to all of his music, went to a few of his shows. I, I'm sadly probably one of the more form, foremost Kanye experts here at CT. So. <laughs> For whatever that means. Okay, so give us your opinion then on just like this past, I don't even know, week, year, month with Kanye. The last few years, to be honest, I've probably been kind of burned out on Kanye. Kanye's whole career has been polarizing. He's had moments of kind of letting his tongue slip with different things and saying inappropriate things, but especially the last few years with some of his comments on slavery being a choice and abolishing the 13th Amendment, which of course does abolish slavery in the United States, in addition to some of his kind of over-the-top trolling Trump support, which I've felt like is pretty hurtful to a lot of people. In addition to his <laughs> comments on mental illness and Kanye has bipolar disorder, which I think also in some ways has added to 
creativity in his work, but some of his comments on how he handles that and medication and have been problematic. So I found myself pretty burned out. I think if this Jesus is King album had come out six, seven years ago, I'd probably be a lot more excited. I still have listened to it several times and enjoyed aspects of it, but I certainly find myself a little bit of a Kanye skeptic nowadays, especially around the idea of a sudden faith conversion, which if you know Kanye's music, he's been singing about faith for a long time. I think for me, I'm not someone that follows Kanye nearly as closely as you have. So I've been actually kind of interested in the reaction that I've seen Christians have to what I would say I'm also just like puzzled about because it's not like Kanye has been singing about a completely different faith for the past 10, 15 years. In fact, there's been tons of Christian imagery in here. And so I'm when people are talking about, wow, he had this genuine conversion experience, I'm kind of like, well, then what was everything else? Like, I mean, what well, what is happening right now that makes people think that he's changed? Yeah, I mean, obviously the lyrics of his new album seem explicitly like almost like a worship album, right? But I don't think we expect everyone to start putting out worship albums to prove that they're Christians generally, or we don't expect athletes who become Christians to like quit their jobs to become pastors or ministers. So what is happening here? And the whole reason I wanted to do this podcast is because... I wanted to unpack for people just like this larger trajectory of things that's going on. So can you tell us a little bit about who our guest is today and who we'll be talking about all these things with? Our guest today is Femi Ulatade, um, who is a 31-year-old Nigerian-American who lives in New York City. He is the co-writer for season five of a podcast called Dissect, which is one of my personal favorites, which goes through the serialized examination of the album Damn by rapper Kendrick Lamar, specifically focusing on interplay between the personal, social, and spiritual ramifications of Kendrick's work. Femi was raised in the evangelical charismatic spiritual tradition, but within the last year, he and his family have officially converted into the Eastern Orthodox Church. Hey, Femi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? It is great to have you on the show, and I'm excited for people to, you know, find out over the course of this podcast why we invited, you know, this like Kendrick fan onto the show. <laughs> As if they're different camps. <laughs> <laughs> I know, just in case people thought there was some sort of divide there. It's like the Sharks and the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> Which one are you? Are you a Kanye, Kanye or a Kendrick? That's what people would ask. So, I mean, let's talk about all of this. Like, what do you make of all the reaction to this new album? You know, is this like the normal volume of chatter that you're used to seeing when it comes to a Kanye album? Or is there something different that you see about this reaction? It is definitely more. And for context, historically, the last time Kanye released something was in 2018. And it actually more than one thing. There was kind of a series of projects. They're all kind of shorter. There are these kind of sessions he did kind of where he's been in Wyoming. And so he released his own album, Yay. He released a collaborative album with another rapper named Kid Cudi. That one's called, I think, Kid See Ghosts. That's their group. And then he also produced some albums for some other really big name hip hop artists, um, including Pusha T, who is actually featured on, on this album on Jesus is King on Jesus Gospel. And then also he um, did one for Nas, who's one of the greatest hip hop artists. He's probably less relevant or people less known by modern listeners, but he is often considered one of the top five greatest hip hop artists ever. I was saying someone who's used a lot of Christian imagery himself in his career. Yeah, I'll get to that. Definitely Nas has too. That was definitely released that time. 
there was within people that pay attention to music and pay attention to media. I think people looked at it, they watched it, they talked about it. I, I think that in that era, a lot of the talk was largely connected to a lot of his statements, particularly around Donald Trump and around um, slavery and things. And I think people were largely disappointed with Kanye around the time because they felt that he had kind of sold out the, the black community. They felt that particularly from um, people from a liberal perspective, they felt that he was doing a disservice and even creating problems and all kinds of sorts of things. They felt that he was dragging people down. There was definitely, um, there was a lot of talk around that related to the political ramifications. And I think that maybe even overshadowed maybe the musical work that, that he particularly made and, and kind of produced for other people. There was a decent amount of buzz related to, to what was going on in his statements. I think this is definitely at another level, partially because you still, we're still in that era of kind of this somewhat unexpected kind of Kanye in terms of his political kind of musings, him wearing a Make America Great hat and things like that. So that we're still in that mode. So in that case, it's kind of somewhat built since that time. That's still part of people's mindset about where Kanye is. So you have all of that buzz. But additionally, right, he's releasing a Christian album. This this is a, a Christian album. He said it was going to be a Christian album. It came out. It is a Christian <laughs> album. Um, Were you surprised? <laughs> Are you acting surprised? <laughs> I, I want to say it directly just because it, it, it's, it's clear. To, it, it's important to say I was not actually I wasn't totally surprised. I thought that he, I knew it was in him to do it. It was a question of whether this was going to be the time for him to break through or not. But I had a lot of reason to think that it could be largely because of his mental health and him having a family and having a daughter. Like those two things made me actually really, I can say hopeful, in my personal way hopeful, but even as like a someone that just looks at hip hop, it made so much sense that this could be the moment given where he's been in life. I wasn't surprised. I think throughout his career, he's obviously had incorporate his Christianity into a lot of his music, but this is his first kind of clean Christian album. There's no cursing or anything like that. <laughs> and I think the family aspect is really an important aspect of this. The fact that he has three young children and he's... No, because he I has think, four and he has two does dogs. He? Yeah. He has a psalm. That was the recent one. So he's got... He's psalm, got, Chicago, oh, psalm Saint, is a new, yeah, Saint, and North. North. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I do think there is an aspect of family-friendly self-reflection. I think a lot of times when people have kids, I have a one-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, you know, people reflect on their upbringing and their faith. And obviously just the beauty of having a child is a beautiful miracle from God. So I think that certainly has played a role in this. And throughout Kanye's career, there's been... He's referenced his faith and his Christianity, but there's also been some of the contradictions of his life have been kind of on display for all to see. Not that those contradictions have totally gone away, since I think there's still aspects of kind of the, the greed and the ego that show up on this album and kind of around his Sunday services. But I think one aspect that's always made Kanye's art interesting is that you can kind of see all aspects of who he is, the sacred and the profane. Oh, oh, oh. I'm in there a little bit. One thing I'll say, and I think it's important because depending on who people are and how much they listen to Pioneer Hip Hop, I, I think it's important to understand it is very, very common to have religious wording, imagery, and devotion um, talked about and depicted in hip hop. It is amazingly uncommon. It's actually very uncommon to have hip in the era that Kanye was coming up. It was actually very uncommon to like never mention anything religious. And it was very uncommon to like have a view in which like, religion or a faith tradition had no relevance to one's life. It's just super common. I can just point to so many examples, Tupac, Nas, Jay-Z, all of them. These are, those are, and those are three of like the, the greatest that are really foundational. All of them made 
large references. Even outside of Christianity, there's large numbers of references to the Nation of Islam. And you start looking at NWA and Ice Cube. You have a lot of people in what are called the Five Percenters, somewhat related to the Nation of Islam, including uh, Rakim, who was one of like the most influential hip hop artists even before all of those other ones that I mentioned. Um, so it, it's, it runs through the history of hip hop. It might be a little bit less now because I think the Black community and hip hop culture and urban culture has changed so much. And I think the modern views of of spirituality. It has adopted much more of the mainstream secular view of it. But I think really through the 90s and early 2000s, you know, you have to remember that Black community is very influenced by the Christian tradition and has, has grown up very strongly within it. And it's throughout the music. And also hip-hop itself is, is used to sampling gospel, soul, music in terms of the foundations of what the music is. So it's, it's just really embedded within the foundations of hip-hop. How it's been used, particularly in the 90s and um, the early 2000s, has been to show contradictions, which is exactly the thing that I was mentioning earlier. It's constantly used to show contradictions. And that's what you see in all in the vast majority of the depiction. That's also what you see in Kanye's life. So in that way, how Kanye has talked about his faith in Christianity is, is actually par for the course with how hip-hop talks about contradictions. The difference is that when Kanye released College Dropout in 2004, that was an era in which gangster and hip-hop ran all of hip-hop. It was the dominant force. That is the era where 50 Cent was was dominant in New York and across the airwaves. That is the era where Jay-Z is still really, is still regarded as like the tops. He used to be, he used to sell cocaine. Uh, 50 Cent also used to sell cocaine. It was the dominant way. And you couldn't really be a rapper unless you had street credibility, unless you had sold cocaine, unless you had been in gangs or could talk about that. And Kanye West grew up in a middle, middle-class environment. I'm going to forget some of the details, but he grew up with his mom. His dad is in his life. They weren't always kind of together, I think. But he grew up in a middle-class life where his parents were educated. He was supposed to go to college. He, he was very, very different than everything that was going on in hip-hop at the commercial level in the, in the 90s and 2000s. The difference about Kanye when he comes onto the scene is not that he like added Christianity. It's not even that he used it in contradictions. That's all, also very standard. The difference is that overall, the college dropout was a overall positive version of expression of hip-hop, which was not seen really since like the late 80s. And he was such a throwback in that way that he was bringing this kind of positive outlook. And it was actually before he was really controversial ever at all. Nobody actually started anything with Kanye at the time. And so what the difference was is that he didn't have, his contradictions were not necessarily with as much with the drugs and, and like the violence and things. He kind of was more relatable, but like had this certain way where the contradiction wasn't as stark as like the drug selling. It was this different thing that was this more everyday life. And for him, it actually ends up being kind of more with sex later on in his life and somewhat with money or a lot of with money, definitely. That, I think that's different. It's a different kind of struggle in hip hop. And I think it's a struggle that I think people in a larger mainstream can relate to more in a way that they cannot really relate to the, a lot of the narratives in the 90s and 2000s that were largely around urban plight, the very, very strongly about the black struggle and about violence and about gang. People can really understand that and get next to it. But Kanye, I think, came from this background, I think is more digestible to a wider degree of people. So that, that's actually my opinion about, about what's different about how we've seen Kanye's form of Christianity. I think you're right on that front. I grew up myself in a kind of a pretty white suburban community and someone like Kanye to come along who kind of u- utilized a lot of you know, soul and gospel samples was definitely a more relatable artist for someone like myself than like you said, someone like 50 Cent who had a much tougher upbringing. And uh, whereas Kanye, you know, he lived in China for a while with his mother, who is a, a professor in Nanjing. He 
went to Chicago State and then, you know, dropped out. And that was the kind of the start of that, the college dropout album. Well, before actually back up where he dropped out of Chicago State to become a producer and produced Jay-Z and Nas and several artists before eventually doing college dropout, late registration and graduation. So even, you know, singing about college and probably things that are more relatable to a suburban audience probably brought him a different level of a different audience than some of those other rappers. I'm curious, you touched on this a little bit, Femi. Do you know that much about Kanye's own religious background? I like. I have impressions of it, but I guess ha- having written a lot of things for Dissect, I realized that like unless I've like recently like looked into it and really delved deep, I will. I, I don't. I'm not confident in terms of like uh, how much I'm, I can really speak to it directly. Probably like have thoughts more than I can say. But in general, like from what I my impressions are and what I've heard him talk about more recently is he grew up. He grew up going to church. He grew up in Chicago. He grew up. I think I'm um, going to a church that would be in the African American um, spiritual tradition within the, the Black Church. He had experiences. I can't speak to how, what percentage of Sundays he would have gone to church or other things like that, but he clearly kind of grew up in that environment. Again, he grew up in a middle-class environment, not somewhere where there was education or understanding. Like he would have been able to, to read the Bible. He would have been able to understand concepts. He's, he's a very smart person. He would have been able to under, understand this. So he was, I think, largely influenced and still, still is in large way, but definitely didn't grow up something within like the African-American spiritual tradition. I think since we've been talking about his music a little bit, we should just talk about some of his songs in particular. So I'm going to name one of Kanye's songs, and then I'd be interested in hearing from you guys about the way that you see his understanding of faith being on display or showcased or what it says about it at that time. So let's start with the first one, Jesus Walks. Go ahead, Femi. It wasn't the first single that Kanye had, but it was one of the singles from College Dropout, which was his debut album released in 2004. It's it's a really interesting song. It was There's a lot of story about this and in the kind of effort it took to getting this released as a single. I think a lot of people in the industry didn't think that you could do that, which Kanye actually mentions in the song. In short, what Jesus Walks is about, it actually opens up with this intro that says, we at war, we at war with terrorism, racism, but most of all, we at war with ourselves. We at war with terrorism, racism, It is this kind of exploration and commentary about struggle, about conflict that is going on um, in a societal level even more so is kind of going on inside of us. Kanye will talk about, particularly point out things about police brutality and harassment, about police officers um, in Black communities, kind of insulting kind of like uh, Black people, trying to kind of follow them, harassing them. And then he also, but he also at the same time, kind of like someone implicates himself for people that would be like him or look like him that might be trying to sell cocaine, even doing it against their the wills of their parents. So he's depicting all these things that are showing kind of the, both kind of the oppression and the wayward wickedness. The point of this that he's trying to say is that even in the midst of all this, the oppression that's kind of going on, the wicked choices that we're making, Jesus is present and is walking with us in his journey. He's going on a journey with us in spite of us and in spite of what has been around us. And that is, that's largely what, particularly the first verse about, um, the second verse kind of extends that, extends that past him or one person and talks about that in terms of people that might be, be strippers or murderers or, or drug dealers and saying that this is everyone's story in the Black community in particular. To the hustlers, killers, murderers, drug dealers, even the scrippers. To the victims of welfare, feel we living in hell here, hell yeah. He focuses on the fact that, that he says, I need Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but I need Jesus. And that's what I want to assert here. And I want people to all know that I need Jesus. 
And similarly, these other people that are in these situations and in this particular perspective, people that are on welfare, people that have, have are suffering, that are living in hell on earth, they all need Jesus. And that's kind of what the assertion of, of Jesus walking is about. Into believers. I'm just trying to say the way school need teachers, the way Catholic need to read just, that's the way I need Jesus. So here go my I believe Jesus Walks was the fourth single off of College Dropout. I, I think people often think of Jesus Walks as the Christian song off of his debut, but that was also followed immediately by Never Let Me Down. You know, says when it comes to being true, he's true to me. One thing I've found is you've never let me down, which then, Sounds of course, like a CCM worship song. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Which then is followed by Get Em High, which I, you can imagine what that's about. Um, so there is, again, kind of the contradictions inherent in his music and part of what makes it so interesting. But yeah, Jesus Walks, you talked about kind of him mentioning in the song, they said you can rap about anything except for Jesus, means guns, sex, lies, videotape. But if I talk about God, my record won't get played. They said you can rap about anything except for Jesus. That means guns, sex, lies, videotape. But if I talk about God, my record won't get played. Huh? Well, if this take kind of inherent, he's, he's saying he can't talk about this, and so he's going to, which is kind of interesting as well. Jesus Walks, I think, is really, I would say, probably the start of where he's ended up now, kind of the origination in his his musical career. And I think I'll add too is that like as you kind of alluded to, it's not the only thing on the on the album that speaks of Christianity. Indeed, there is actually a full gospel song uh, called the track. He brings in a choir and sings, "I'll, I'll fly away." That's uh, actually earlier before Jesus walks. It's actually a very interesting section of the album because there is I'll Fly Away. And then he has a next song that's called Spaceship, which uses the image of a spaceship that's taking him away from his kind of dead end job and kind of conflict over race and and other things like that as he's trying to work. And he kind of envisions a spaceship, spaceships that's going to carry him and fly, fly away. Similar to the, you know, again, the, the Negro spiritual of I'll Fly Away, referencing Elijah and the Chariot. And then Jesus Walks actually comes after Spaceship on the track, again, about Jesus Walk, as we as we mentioned. And then right after that is where you have Never Let Me Down. And you have other things like that also later, like in Through the Wire, when he talks about how he got into a car crash, and it means he must have an angel because he because death missed him there's there's all of that stuff it, it goes to my point of what i'm saying of what i what i think we've established that it's it's very much throughout kanye's album and it's in line with how hip-hop works and the year that that song came out was what year 2004 i believe the next song i have for you guys is i am a god and maybe you can tell me to femi what year that came out and what was the larger context it is an, it is definitely important I have to kind of contextualize Kanye a lot before this. And essentially, this is this is released in 2013. I believe it's like his sixth album. So after College Dropout, he had Late Registration, he had Graduation, he did uh, 808s and Heartbreaks, and My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and then after that, he did Jesus. This is 2013. It is an entirely different world <laughs> at this point in in every in every sense. I mean, the world is very different in terms of this is the Obama era at this point, right? This is hip hop is fundamentally different. Is he married Kanye at this point? When this comes out, is he married? I have to go and look. I I want to I want to say get no. the details. I think he is. I think he is married because I got married in 2013, and I remember <laughs> Kanye and Kim getting married before us because they actually got married in San Francisco where we were living at the okay. time. Okay, um, so I'm pretty sure he was married at this point. Yes, he actually is definitely married at this point because Kim is in the music video for Bound Two, which is oh, the oh last yeah, you're right. They were in, yes, they, they were, were engaged. They were engaged so the to get married. Yes, there. that's so, yes. right. So there you go. Yep. There you go. So we're right around the era. They're, they've been together for some time at this point is is the established thing. So Yeezus is very interesting because the album before that was kind of like this still this him living in old sample kind of sound, very beautiful, very orchestral. 
And Jesus is like essentially trying to make you uncomfortable at every single turn and how he produces it. He doesn't sample things. He doesn't kind of have these kind of warm things. It's, it's very harsh. It's, things are very offbeat. Like the content is as very grating and like internally controversial as well, too. So it, it's just a different world. Can you talk about the impetus to uh, 808s and Heartbreaks? Because I feel like that tells you a lot about Kanye yes, himself. I've talked about that, too, as well. The album, My Graduation, was released in 2007, I believe. Around that time, Kanye's mother, Donda West, died. He was really close to his mom. He rapped about, there's a song called Hey Mama. I think it's on late registration that talks about how much he loves his mama and how he's going to go back to school and he's going to buy her houses and, and all that. He's always really devoted to his mom. He's a mama's boy, totally. Buy all these things that she can't afford. Very, very classic hip hop coming up kind of tracks. His mom died. And in particular, his mom died because Kanye had moved to LA. He'd left Chicago. He was living in Los Angeles. And his mom kind of came there. And I think his mom was trying to get like plastic surgery or something. And then his mom actually died during this procedure. One, Kanye lost probably his best friend, I would think. He might have said that directly, but that's definitely the ethos you get from how he talks about his relationship with his mom. And on top of that, Kanye felt a tremendous amount of guilt because he had moved them to LA. He had brought them into a place where, you know, that kind of perception and, and kind of beauty standards was so prevalent and that kind of spirit in the kind of air and area. That kind of pain and the loss, I think he very much talks about it as being a moment of like losing his best friend, losing, I think, a lot of his moral compass losing somebody that kind of kept him grounded on and on earth, connected him spiritually. All of these things, I think, were lost. So you'll see songs like Street Lights, where, he, where he'll talk about kind of this journey of being in a cab. Street Lights happen to be just like moments passing in front of me. So I hopped in the cab and I, I came right there. See, I know my destination. I know my destination, but I'm just Probably the most powerful song on the album, on that album. It's something that inspired generations of a lot of kind of emo rap people that you have. It's actually something that's actually in the Jesus of Kill, uh, Jesus is King film that is out in IMAX. And he, there's a really beautiful scene of him sweeping and kind of being this kind of humble servant, sweeping up the place and singing that song to himself. But he changes the lyrics and he says, So I hopped in the cab and I paid my fare. See, I know my destination and God brought me there. And so really, really, really influential. But the, that's a crux. I think that also will show you how you'll see a lot of stuff in Jesus is King is he's often redeeming his story throughout the albums. But you just you see over and over again. All right. So some time ago, um, so, we were talking about <laughs> I Am A God. Um, I, I do wonder if you guys can actually comment on that song directly. But I also wanted to know yes. in your commentary, if you can also just share a little bit about the album name and the significance of that. So the album that this is featured on is called Jesus. His name is Kanye. He often referred to himself as Ye, or um, it was popular to say Yeezy. Yeezy was another shortening for his name. So Ye, Ye, that's kind of where it comes from. What's called a portamount, I think, but when you merge two words. So he's merging Ye, Kanye, like Ye, Yeezy with the word Jesus and forming Jesus. Essentially, he's trying to, what it seems like in the album, is trying to compare himself to to Jesus in a somewhat proud, yes, in a very clearly proud way of saying that he is maybe close to if not, mm-hmm. maybe maybe actually things equal to. I'm not going to say that, but <laughs> you should probably think like that. And at the very least, I'm much higher above all you other humans. Is kind of the essence of what the the name Jesus represents, and kind of and it is very much at the ethos of the um, entire album, including the song "I Am a God." I mean, he opens with his intro that says, "I am a God." But he doesn't say, I am God, right? I mean, he says, I am a God. I am, I am a God. And he makes room for 
God being like, you know, the God of Israel, Yahweh, Elohim, doing kind of human things, but essentially it's about his power and how people should serve him. So he's like, where's, where's my, where's my massage? Where's my menage? Get my car out of the garage. Essentially kind of talking about that people are there to serve him, his body, his sexual needs, his cars to kind of get them. He almost depicts himself as this kind of like pagan deity who is kind of hungry and is in need. It's exactly what a lot of like the early kind of first 11 chapters in particular of Genesis are trying to critique <laughs> is this idea of these gods of the, the Mediterranean, the near, the near East, the Mediterranean area that were these gods that were hungry and needed humans to kind of cook their food and give it to them. Of course, the idea of us being created in the image of God is this idea that the image of God, the, the representative of God. That was a term that was applied to kings, to people who ruled over their societies were supposed to be treated like the gods because they were, you know, God on earth. They were God's representatives and you needed to serve them. And that's essentially how God is depicting himself. <laughs> um, and it is exactly contradictory to how I think the biblical story and what Jesus is talking about in that when we are made in the image of God, it's humanity, all of humanity together functions as the representatives of God and no one human is above another, we're supposed to learn how to rule like God in this kind of humble way that is close to the earth. Kanye basically becomes his own pagan deity. He still makes room for God in the sense that like he talks about that he's a man of God, his his life is in the hand of God. He actually in the second verse, like God talks to him, or actually Jesus talks to him and kind of like he's like, oh, like, how are you doing, Jesus? And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm chilling. I'm, I'm trying to get this maybe these millions, these million dollars. And he talks about that like, oh, he's the most high, but I'm a close high. I know he the most high, but I am a close high. It's his very, I would describe it as the Tower of Babylon. It's like, it's this pride. It's, it's stating that you're above everyone else and acknowledging that there is this God that is a heaven and most high. But I'm pretty close to and, that And it's person. all presented and, without um, irony, correct? Without irony. No, no, no irony whatsoever. <laughs> um, no irony, at least in this track. And I would say generally, I have a delegate in this album in general. There's not as much that's like necessarily redeeming or moving away from this idea. Not not really fully at all anywhere in this album. From what I know, I, I'd have to like look at it more and more. And it's very much this kind of thing of a him, you know, having God, but kind of God, God serves him and he kind of puts kind of calls God what needs them and he invites them into his home in this kind of somewhat of like this kind of tower ziggurat leading to like the temple. So it is, it is, it's very much this kind of tower of Babylon song. And uh, one, one of the, one of the best parts of this is that in the official track, the song is called I am God featuring God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that. A very important context. Did you have anything else to, you wanted to add Wes? From my perspective, the most fascinating part of Kanye's career, partially from a musical perspective, said he went from 808s and Heartbreaks, which is this very emotional, hard-on-your-sleeve album, to just this extremely cold, industrial, avant-garde sound with Yeezus. And then also with, I saw Kanye during his tour for this album, the best way to describe the, the show was like a, it was like a church Easter passion play, but if your church had $5 million and diamond masks and all sorts of other things. Because even in the show, you know, while he's in this period where he's kind of deifying himself, in the show there's angels, there's demons, there's a Jesus which he, you know, removes his mask and bows down to. And it's kind of a five-act 
play kind of like a Mount Sinai, kind of the five parts are fighting, kind of our human rebellion, rising, kind of our pride, falling, kind of the tragedy in his life, searching and um, finding. With each of these, he displayed a definition of each of them. And just an example for finding said, God arrives right on time. He's not hiding or sleeping, but on the move, revealing. He lifted me out of the ditch, pulled me from deep mud. He stood me upon a solid rock and put a new song in my heart. So even in this period where, you know, even within the same show, he spent probably 20 minutes comparing himself to Walt Disney and Leonardo da Vinci and Steve Jobs and how he's this creative genius. Even within this, there's this incredibly profound spiritual element. And and he even ended the show, the last thing you see on the screen is, he'll give us what we need. It may not be what we want. So kind of dealing in this reality of having lost his mom and still looking uh, to God and realizing that he'll supply what we need even in times of tragedy. So it is amazing that, you know, even through this dark period of time where he is kind of deifying himself and lifting himself up, there's still this profound spiritual, inspiring spiritual element to his show. And, and even, you know, like I said, bowing to Jesus in the middle of his show is pretty amazing in this, in this period. So the next song is Ultralight Beam. Ultralight Beam. So this is a song that is on this album called Life of, The Life of Pablo. Um, it was released, I believe, in 2016. It was an interesting album. So it, um, Kanye actually said that this album what he was making was like a gospel album with a lot of cursing. There is a lot of talk, and I think he said it maybe directly, and other people expounded upon this about how he was inspired by the life of Saint Paul, his kind of like kind of kind of conversion experience from kind of like having kind of gone killing Christians in the early parts of Acts to kind of having this transformational experience and then becoming one of these kind of greatest messengers to of Christianity. And in particular, because he kind of came from this outside of Judea experience and had grown up in kind of Greek areas and land that had like studied, you know, philosophy and Greek thought, he was able to bring the gospel message to the world, essentially what was Rome, because he knew the culture, he knew the language, he actually was a citizen, he had certain kind of like privileges and kind of like status and insights that enabled him to spread it to Jews, but even more so to non-Jews, to people outside of. You're the, blowing my um, mind right faith. now. I'm just like, what the <laughs> heck? It's like so helpful to think of Paul as being that way, because I've thought of Paul as being problematic that way. And so now I'm just replacing him with Kanye and anything in the early church <laughs> looks different. Thank you, Femi. That's really yeah, great. No, that is, that's, this is why these things are really important. <laughs> these analogies are really, it's really helpful. I mean, this is why hip hop is important. This is why I write about it and and Kendrick and other things because they're like how how prophecy, how scripture works is that it's always saying the same thing. And it's just that it's it's every new generation misunderstands what the previous generation has tried to pass on. Language changes, things decay, people reject it, people lose the meaning, they lose the context, they lose the history. And kind of God's spirit through the word his act of work and the life of people and, and everything has to kind of reveal the same message that is kind of localized and contextualized for every audience. And I honestly think that people like Kanye, both in his life and music, and people like Kendrick and other other people that are working in art and media and, and hip hop, they're actually contextualizing and localizing this this ancient me- message that God has been. So, but yeah, that is part of the analogy that he's going on here. And so, um, this song is the opening track of the album. It is very gospel oriented. It actually kind of comes in with these voices. There's somebody that's yelling. These two women and saying like, "We don't want no devils in our house. God. Yes, we Lord. want the Lord." So again, starts off very strong in this black 
charismatic tradition, very much this kind of church music. This is all over kind of a gospel, very clearly gospel song, gospel sounding song with kind of singing and other things. It is a rap song in terms of he is rapping on it, but it's very, very gospel influenced. This chorus that comes on that says, I'm trying to keep my faith. We on a ultra light beam. We on a ultra light beam. This is a God dream. This is a God dream. This is everything. Within all of that, I think particularly the, the theme of light is, of course, super, super important. It's, it's important here. It's, it's really important throughout Jesus as King. And of course, this goes back, and it's very important within the biblical narrative and the understanding of the identity of Jesus and everything. It's the idea that in the beginning, God said, let there be light. God created light. It's very early on. And then if you you know fast forward to the Gospel of John, um, John basically is parodying, or he's basically um, kind of bringing in the story of creation in Genesis 1 into the prologue of John. He'll say, um, in the beginning was God, was God and, and was with the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God at the very beginning. So he talks about that. He talks about Jesus being God, God being light. And in him was life, and the life was the light of humanity, and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not mastered it, or sometimes people translate, not understood it, as or not overcome it. So he talks about that. He talks about the idea that Jesus is the true light, the light that shines upon everyone, about every human that comes into the earth, that he created the earth that to those that receive him, that receive this light, that they become God's children. Later on, he talks about that the, the message or the judgment against the world is the idea that, that God is light, but humans love darkness because they can conceal their evil deeds. But everyone who loves light comes out of their light so that their kind of their deeds can be exposed for the truth of, of what they are. And then later on, I think in First John, one, if you summarize the gospel, John's summary of the gospel in the first letter is amazing. It is, now this is the gospel. This is a good message that we have heard and which we announced to you. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So all of this is, is played into this idea of ultra light beam, of this kind of high ultimate light, this light that is the, at the end of Revelation when it talks about the idea that there is no sun in new creation because Jesus, the son of God, is the one that provides light to all creation. So that is all that's kind of being on in this ultimate light imagery for like ultra light beam. It's really, really, really strong in terms of the gospel message. And in the middle of that, it's there's also this kind of refrain that says, I'm trying to keep my faith, but I am looking for more. I'm trying to keep my faith, but I'm looking for more. So even with all of that that is there and this recognition, there is a sense of that it's not enough and that there's more to be looking after and there's more that one needs. That is essentially what I think launches through a lot of the journey of life of Pablo that particularly in the first half is very dark, not necessarily in terms of sound, but in terms of what he's doing and in terms of just like this debauchery that he kind of lives in and misogyny and all this kind of things that kind of eventually like, you know, mess up his life. And you kind of hear the back half where he's kind of struggling, kind of getting out of that and realizing how that has kind of affected him very negatively. I think towards the end tries to talk about this idea of how particularly St. Pablo, the last track where he talks about that when all of these struggles, he looks back, he looks back and he sees that, that you was um, like uh, one set of footsteps. You were, ca- you was, you was carrying me, which I think a lot of people, if you grew up in the evangelical <laughs> tradition has probably heard this, this, this narrative, right? You do the two footsteps, you look back, you're like, God, you weren't carrying you. Like, where were you at these time periods? Oh, that's where I was carrying you. Um, so it's the idea of God's provision and things like that. That's like how like that album ends. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, 
but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. So that's like the, the kind of broader context and I think the, the power. And it's, it's one of probably the time sort of sound and things and as probably the most sounding gospel work that he's ever made. Ultra Light Beam also features a verse and the main verse is actually by Chance the Rapper who has his, his, his faith is very well interwoven within his work. And so that kind of, I think, even augments it in terms of, of how much uh, it was definitely perceived and received as this kind of Christian intent song. And additionally, it has Kirk Franklin. Kirk Franklin actually ends up at the end of, of the track. Um, Kirk Franklin is there and is singing this kind of song at the end. Or he didn't actually sing song, he prays. Father, this prayer for everyone that feels they're not good enough. This prayer for everybody that feels that they're too messed up. Everyone that feels they said I'm sorry too many times. You can never go too far when you can't come back home again. That's why I need. So it, 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 it's interesting, like when you go back and, and listen to things like that, because it, it does represent a certain moment in Kanye's life. But to see kind of Jesus as king and you look back, and it is this thing of like where it's very easiest to feel like Kanye, oh, like there's too many times he said I'm sorry. There's too many times that he's messed up. There's too many times that he hasn't been good enough. But then this idea that there is this hope even within the song that like that if he holds on to his faith and he doesn't relinquish it, that there is this kind of this freedom that he can have, that he can actually be transformed by the light. I think there's no Jesus is King without ultralight beam. You mentioned Kirk Franklin, Chance the Rapper, Kelly Price, who's a gospel singer, is also on the song. And he performed the song on Saturday Night Live. And you know Kirk Franklin pretty much gives a prayer, almost mini sermon on you know national t- television. So kind of the first real big kind of pronouncement of the gospel from Kanye. So let's go to a song off the most recent album, Jesus is King, called appropriately Selah. Any thoughts on this one, Femi? Selah, really, really important track. It's actually the first time you hear Kanye because the first uh, track is a straight gospel song called Every Hour that only has like a choir. Kanye is not in it whatsoever. And it says, essentially every hour, every minute, every second. And then it says, we need you, we need you, we need you. Um, and then sing till the power of the Lord comes down. That song is really important in that it's um, it functions in a couple ways. It, it One, it's an invocation, like the um, what you would have in a more liturgical tradition where you are calling down, literally invocate to, to call in when you are calling down the Holy Spirit, the power. Um, I'll send my power upon you, the Holy Spirit, so you'll be my witnesses, right? Calling back to Acts and the Ascension and what Jesus is talking about. So that song is really calling for God to be present in the form of his spirit throughout the album. Kind of cuts very abruptly into, into Sela. Selah is a Hebrew word. It's all in the Psalms. There's, it's used maybe like, like 74 times or so. It's not fully known what it actually means. One of the things that have been kind of somewhat lost within the, the tradition of Hebrew. Often interpretations include that Selah means to kind of like lift one's voice higher. So like a higher pitch. Some people interpret it as like always or forever, which kind of would somewhat connect to the idea of lifting a voice higher and stronger and kind of on and on. There's like a minor, there's another one that's about that. This is like a pause where there might be reflection or like a musical interlude. So that's where the name comes from. Like I'd have to think about it more. My, my, my initial guess is that you might intend the first meaning, which would make sense because there actually is a choir that kind of comes in and sings very strongly at this kind of like higher 
kind of register. His son is also named Psalm, so Psalm and Selah are also kind of cool in that they're connected in terms of where you see the word Selah. That's kind of the, the name. In terms of the function, this song really introduces many of the core motifs and the themes in the album. So the idea of, of needs is my, my current impression is that the idea of needs is the central theme of the entire album. The album theme, one thing that runs through it that I think people can understand really practically that is a really strong theme is this idea of needs. It is, is what do we need? How do we get what we need? When do we have enough of what we need? And how do we hold on to the things we need once we've received them? That runs through the, the whole, like, whole album. I think that's probably one of the most dominant things, if not the dominant one. And here in Sela, it functions as sort of introducing several things. So one of the first one, it, the, Sela opens, his first words are, God is the king, we are the soldiers. So again, tapping into Jesus is king, the idea of the kingdom of God, a God is king, image of God, we're made to be in Christ's image, that Jesus is the king of kings, that we are all made to be royalty, made in the image of God, be God's representatives, and Jesus is king above all, Jesus is God. God is the one that rules and teaches us how to rule the earth so that it will be a place where there is blessing. That's the idea of God as king. We are the soldiers, right? So that's the idea on top of us being kind of kings that rule under God's authority, this idea that there is a battle, that there are people that, that there is antagonism um, in this king, against this kingdom from the forces of spiritual darkness. And this is often, if you grew up in an evangelical charismatic tradition, this is, is very well understood, very talked about. If you go to things like Second Corinthians, right, they'll talk about the idea that we do not war, like we don't war according to like the flesh, that our weapons are, are spiritual. They are not carnal. They're not of the flesh. And they're powerful in tearing down arguments. We destroy um, arguments in everything that every high thing that sets itself up against God and take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So it's the idea of war and this war in terms of how I talk about spirit, particularly in when I talk about it in, in my commentaries and, and discussions, I had to find spirit in terms of how it's often used in these works as kind of the spirit is like a pattern of like thoughts and emotions. It's a certain shared pattern of thoughts and emotions that can influence many people and can be shared among them, influences how people act and do. And it's this invisible, visible energy and power that animates people to, to speak and do things in a certain way. That, that you can see that a little bit in the idea of like we, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That part of what's at this war is the idea of these thoughts and where they come from and whether they are against God or whether they are for God. So you see that in there. You, If you jump into Ephesians, which he actually referenced will directly later, uh, Ephesians 6, where he'll talk about, you know, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against powers, against rulers, rulers of this of this spiritual art of darkness, against the darkness of this age. Because in acknowledgement of the fact that there is this war, you need to put on the armor of God. And you'll kind of, will go into the, you know, things like the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the preparation that comes from the gospel, translated different ways sometimes. But this this thing about shoes and the gospel and the good use, the shield of faith, taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's kind of armor, most of which is protective. Most of these things are things that are supposed to protect us and to stand. And there's this idea of kind of standing and being defensive and standing together. The one form of offense you have, have is a sword that is itself the word of God. That is all playing within here when he says, God is the king, we are the soldiers. You have a comparison, he compares himself to Noah. So he talks about the idea, of course, Noah is this person that lived in a wicked generation. God called him to save humanity by following God's commandments, building like a boat, a vessel, 
an ark, a box, and bringing his family along with all of like the pairs of animals. They kind of kind of go through. They're saved as as the kind of floodwaters come up that wash away the wickedness and return the world to its initial state of chaos when like the spirits hovering over the waters in Genesis one. He offers a sacrifice and he's able to bring and restore the blessings back to the essentially back to the Garden of Eden kind of level of, of life. So Kanye is envisioning himself as, as Noah in the sense that he is somebody that's living in this wicked generation. He's a certain person that is hearing from God. He's this person that is creative, that creates things, creates physical products like a boat. He is this person that is bringing his family onto this boat, save them from the, the waves and this destructive forces that are coming if they stay and live amongst this current culture and this current generation. He, along with that, cares about the earth and about the environment and about creating creating new new life in it, and which is why he is also tasked with like helping to kind of like save and restore creation in the form of these animals. That's a lot of the analogy there. And you'll see stuff about that with his family and, and restoration kind of dialogue. He talks a little bit about also about like, I won't be in bondage to any man. He actually directly quotes from John chapter 8, John 8, 30 three and also John 8, 3, 6. This is basically the uh, uh, passage where Jesus tells the people, there were the Judeans that were living there, that, that they're in bondage, that um, that if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then the Judeans respond, uh, the Judean leaders respond by saying, like, what are you talking about? Um, we're not slaves now. We've never been a slave to any uh, any man. How can we say that that we need to be free? This is, of course, ironic because they are they are descended from the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt. Their whole narrative is based on them being slaves. And they have this limited view where it's like they don't even know their own history, that they are really enslaved. And it just shows how blind they are to their own story. But then what Jesus kind of talks about it and what he's showing is that Jesus redefines what it means to be a son, what it means to be a descendant, both the son of God, be a son of Abraham, is that it's not based on, on physical descent. It's based on whether you resemble your father. Whether you do the actions of your father is what he talks about there. Abraham is, is defined by his faith, his leaving of his family, his leaving of Babylon, which is essentially the line of where he came from, and him following God into a place where God is chosen to bring blessing. Those that are like Abraham, similarly follow Abraham, leave this place of destruction, this place of pride, this place that is Babylon, and go to this land of blessing. And that those people are made free. And he says that the people that are these Judean leaders that don't realize this and are trying to kill Jesus, he says, you are like your father. He says, your father is the serpent going all the way back to Genesis, Genesis 3, Genesis 4, this, this force, this force of evil who is leading humanity, deceiving them so that they will eat of the fruit. They will have death. So he's, he's leading to the death of humanity. So he says, you that want to kill other people, you are like your father. And so when you, when you kill other people, you're, you're being like, you're being children of the snake, of being different of the, the accuser, the devil. That's all kind of there. He mentions, you save a wretch like me, of course, referencing to, um, to Amazing Grace. This analogy is, is powerful for many reasons. One, because Amazing Grace, of course, is this, is a song about I've lost and I've found. I was blind, but I can see. Very, very kind of important words relating to his life. But also this idea that he's almost putting himself in this in 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 the role of John Newton as somebody that used to be used to be leading other people into slavery. That through his action, through his lyrics, through his talk of, of, of sex and money, his glorification, he has like led people into slavery. And that this moment is him both rescuing his own soul in terms of coming out and turning God, but also him working now to undo what he's done previously in bringing people into slavery. Yeah, this is my favorite song on the album. Probably the richest with wordplay, you know, the God is King, we the soldiers, that's kind of reference to Jesus walks as well. Ultra beam out of the solar is a reference to ultra light beam. Yeah, that John 833, we the descendants of Abraham, yay, should be fr- made free. That's a, a King James version of that verse. And yay works both ways with Kanye and yay the people. So um, yeah, it's just a really brilliant use of wordplay throughout the song. 
I know we've been just been trying to, you know, cram like 15 years of someone's artistic history into an hour-ish, but probably over an hour show. But I do have like two more questions just before we wrap here. The first one is I just wanted to talk briefly about the influence that you guys think that his family may have had on Kanye's, both his persona and his music. I thought it was really interesting that the week before this album came out, his wife posted pictures of them visiting the Armenian church and three of the kids are baptized there as well. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Femi. Again, it's, it's always hard to, to determine sequencing of what caused what and what's like the sequence in order. I do think that the, the visiting the church is probably like a later thing. Like, I mean, he, he had probably written most of, of Jesus King before that. So I think that's like more like fruit of everything that's kind of gone on in his life more than is necessarily a cause of everything. It does reveal certain things about his journey. Like I said, I, I think with family, I think so he has a song on Ye that ends. It's my favorite song on Ye. Um, which is this, his 2008 song. He opens a song that says, he uses the N-word a lot, but he's like, but basically people, uh, people's is, is savage, uh, people's is monsters, people's is pimps, people's is players, until people's have daughters. And this is reference, this is how, how it's used in the black community, but it's, it's, it's particularly, that, that word in that context means a male, a male in the black community in particular, but it just reads, it's talking about males and this like identity of how they are in this really multifaceted way. This really recognition that like, I only realized what I had done when I, when North grew up and became a daughter. And he's like, now I'm precautious, like, father, forgive them, forgive, forgive me. I'm scared of the karma because now I've learned that women are something to nurture, not something to conquer. Father, forgive me. I'm scared of the karma, cause now I see women as something to nurture, not something to conquer. It's, it's really, really powerful. I think later on, he talks about this kind of, this narrative where he's he's trying to convince some her, his daughter, older daughter, like not to move in with like some guy, doesn't know the danger she's in. And then he's like, you, if you whip her, if you whip her, if you spank her, if you like try to beat her when she's kind of older, and she moves with him, then he whips her. Then you go through it again. And then he's like, but how am I the devil? How am I the devil rebuking the sin? I've I've done this worse. Like I've messed up more girls, more women than than this one dude with my daughter. And it's only now of seeing my daughter, seeing this and like recognizing this and recognize that I can like recognize what I've done. People start at the top somewhere and either you humble yourself like Jesus did in, in Philippians two. And you say who humbled us, who didn't, who did not recognize becoming one with like becoming God as something to be attained, to be grasped, to be taken advantage of. But he humbled himself, making himself in the form of a servant and became obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Then God exalted him and lifted him up so that like, <laughs> so that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. That's what Jesus King ends with. It's the inverse arc. It's the upside down kingdom. It's the upside down trajectory that like either you need to recognize like Jesus that you need to go down and humble yourself and get down into the ground and serve and love and forgive and allow God to give you up to lift you up or God will be the one humbling you and bringing you down to the ground until you recognize and hopefully get lifted up and like that is that's like that's Nebuchadnezzar and that's essentially what kind of like I think Kanye is and I think that the the insanity that he experienced the the bipolar disorder that was his Nebuchadnezzar moment. He's really getting down. And it's really only doing that, that, that was a, he was able to recognize his, his, how finite he is and how he needed to like look up to God. And I think that combined kind of his family and seeing his destruction, I think those two things just really, really fundamentally are what I think in his real life led to him being able to create something like Jesus. Yeah, I'm glad that you're bringing this up because this leads me to my last question, which is basically about how we should view all of these things. I know we've tried to give our listeners a lot more context, but do you guys see Kanye's life is kind of just like the highs and lows on an extremely public and 
quite honestly, extreme level of just what it looks to walk with God over the course of a life? Or do you see it a little bit more linearly where, you know, Kanye was trying to just figure out what was happening, but in the past year, he's really had this like, you know, on off switch moment where he's really, you know, whatever, you know, kind of con- conversion metaphor you want to, or conversion cliche that you want to drop in here, you know, he, but he's seen the light or he's um, had his Damascus Road moment. How would you kind of, what, what do you guys see as um, having taken place in the past year for him? I think that how you view it really largely depends on your spiritual tradition that you come from. And I think you'll largely read that tradition into his story. If you come from more of a kind of a classical evangelical background, there's a lot of focus that's 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 on kind of conversion stories and this kind of momentary kind of quote, quote unquote born again, um, born from above kind of experience where like everything changes. You have this kind of overwhelming sense of emotion or thought that is just radically different before and after. And you can kind of go back to that moment and like that's the moment and everything's different. And like those are those moments definitely happen and they're like really really powerful moments and for some people that is really clearly what happens to them and they're they're like really really phenomenal and they're really at the heart of i think the some of the the greatest parts of i think the evangelical christian tradition that being said i would i would say that in the larger span of understanding christian faith and life that is one moment uh, over a much larger period of what it means to follow God. That story of following God is is becoming, as Kendrick would say, like, I'm an Israelite. I am a child of Israel. This idea that Israel means one who wrestles with, with God, one who wrestles with spiritual, with the spiritual, with the spiritual forces, with the divine, with the angels, that there is life is this wrestling. And when we think that any one moment is going to mean that we're, that's going to find it, that's it, we've like done it, then we're going to fall short of what it means to create new life, to become this source of life, become this this tree that they'll talk about in Psalm 1 or Jeremiah 17, to become this force of the kingdom of God, to be able to be perfective, to be perfect as God is perfect, to be people that can love our, our enemies and to do good to those that persecute here. These are very high standards that Jesus talks about in the kingdom of God. And I think it's something that's constant struggle, that takes constant repentance, constant forgiveness, constant tears, and constant working through. And if you listen to Kanye in the album, because he'll actually still depict some of his struggles in terms of still kind of like having these residual amounts of pride in terms of people pushing his buttons, particularly his father on follow God, his still not really believing that he has enough where he's like, he's like, he needs to charge like more money for his things. Like he, he's, he kind of somewhat complains about all the taxes plus tithing and like how much that he, he's like giving up more than 50% of like his like revenue and what he's coming in. in the middle of the right middle of the track where he's like everything we need, where he kind of recognizes, he uses this metaphor. This is a very popular line that people sometimes like or don't like. Where he's like what if Eve may apple juice? You gon' do what Adam do or say, baby, let's put this back on the tree. We got everything we need. It is, it is, it's an amazing, amazing line. Because it is this recognition of like, when you have this, when you have the wealth, when you have things, or when you have things are okay and they have peace, you, he sits there to recognize, wait, we've taken some of this. This wasn't all just given to us. We taken this and this is going to lead us to destruction and death. We need to actually like reverse this. We need to like put it back. We need to get rid of some of this because it's going to lead us to destruction. <clears throat> but at this point, the, the apple, you know, the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil, it's already been turned into juice. You can't, like, it's one thing even if the apple you can put back on the tree. Like, that's not really doable. But now the idea of, like, uh, like the juice, like, you can't make this back into an apple. It, it's very, it reminds me of Jesus' story of, like, eye into the needle, the parable, and how it's, like, it's, it's harder for a good for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to enter into the eye of a needle. And it's impossible to put this apple juice back on this tree, but it's essentially what we need to do to have life 
and to grow. And essentially all of life is this, this thing of allowing God to do the impossible very slowly in our lives and teach us how to, through his grace and through our work with him, to put this apple juice back on a tree and to stop picking the apples. But you all, the tree's always in the center of the garden. It's what it says. The tree of God of the knowledge of good and evil is in the center of the garden. It's always right there. Even when, when you let go, when you stop, there is this reversal that is done on an individual and a communal level. And there is a sense that like the tree's always there and you always can go walk over and take it. Or your kids might be the one that go over and take it. And there's definitely this generational thing of like, it doesn't end with me. It's this next generation, the next generation, the next generation. How do we pass this on so that we don't keep on going and taking this, this tree and keep making apple juice? We need to stop doing this. And so it's in this struggle that it's not an individual moment. It is a moment over a whole lifetime. It's a moment that's over generations, it's a moment over all of humanity. It is this cosmic story and narrative that is constantly playing out. And I think that is ultimately, I think, where Kanye has has arrived and reached to that understanding. Wow. That was, you, I just am like, okay, it's time for some Kanye devotionals. Yep. We top, need top by you, Femi. Yep, you need to work with Cole and get uh, Jesus is King for season six of uh, Dissect. <laughs> uh, we'll see. There needs, there needs to be some other other voices. All right, for humble dissect, over so, here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for this extremely fascinating discussion that has just definitely made me want to crack open my Bible again and listen to some of the latest I guess this is gospel music technically since Kanye says he's only going to be making gospel music again but listen to this latest gospel album and read some more of the Old Testament for sure so great discussion Femi it was just great to hear your thoughts on this for people who have questions or comments for us please send us an email we're at podcast at christianitytoday.com you can also go on Twitter we're at CT Podcasts, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts so I just want to remind everyone that this podcast is made possible by everything that happens at Christianity today. As you know, Wes is not on our normal editorial team, so I thought it might be interesting for him to shine a light on some of the stuff that he does so you can get a sense of what our ministry does overall. Wes, do you want to chat about that really quickly with us? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've been all over CT, kind of more on the operations side. I started in advertising and then moved to marketing. And now I'm more on the operations side of things. I uh, oversee customer service, um, analytics, and uh, fulfillment. So everything around the magazine arriving and making sure your subscription gets there on time. Okay. All and right. Then, That's important stuff. Yeah. And then uh, also other resources we provide. I also uh, manage fulfillment there in addition to our bookstore relationships and other vendors that sell the magazine. So a little bit of everything. And I it's, it's a fun, varied job. Um, all right. So if you want this magazine and you want it to be shipped to you, Again, Wes is the person that is making that happen along with his team. You can become a subscriber. You can do that by going to orderct.com slash podcast. That's orderct.com slash podcast. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, and everyone gets to share something that has brought them joy in the past week. Wes, that's you. You can go ahead first. My wife and I went with our kids to trick-or-treating in Wheaton, kind of the shops downtown. Our two daughters, kind of the first time we've dressed them both up. We have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a one-year-old. And so our two-and-a-half-year-old loves cookies more than almost anything else and Sesame Street. So she was the c- cookie monster. And then our, <laughs> our youngest daughter was a cookie sandwich. So um, it was pretty fun just walking around and other kids and adults kind of treating our daughter Maya who is the cookie monster, almost like a celebrity kind of shouting cookie monster from across the street and stuff. And just the, 
like love she joy she got from the attention and um, <laughs> was just pretty fun. So that was my uh, precious moment. Are you available to be found anywhere else? I'm not too active anywhere, but I am on Twitter. My last name is pretty hard to spell. My Twitter handle is at W-J-A-K-A-C-K-I. My wife's name is Jackie and her name is Jackie Jakaki. So that <laughs> makes it a lot easier to remember. But yeah, that's where you can find me. All right, Femi, your turn. Yeah. So two things about me, Joy. Both of my kids, my daughter, Fosini, her name means filled with light or enlightened one. But uh, she's turned six recently. And then she just this week, uh, in quick succession, started saying mama and, and baba. So th- that smile is, is always is always enlightening. And so definitely resonates with a lot of the stuff that Connie is saying about in water. He talks about pure as water, like a new and like a newborn daughter. And so that's uh, that's always that combined with like the album has been really resonating. And then my son, uh, Innocent, he's three and a half. He's gotten really just suddenly wanting to be a, a dog um, in terms of his, <laughs> like, uh, his, his play. He, he's really he's very imaginative and he does a lot of role play. So he's wanted to be at the hills. Just I walk in, he'll start saying bark, 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 bark. And he'll wanted me to get a food and other things <laughs> and, and like to play fashion things. And uh, I'll, sometimes our role plays merge together. And, and one of our long standing role plays is that I'll be Jesus and we'll have lots of conversations <laughs> and talk about different things. How did things you start and, that and one? Stuff. <laughs> Uh, so that's a long, that's a longer podcast. <laughs> so. uh, but I do the, uh, Jesus, me being Jesus with him being a dog. And so during our night prayers, I said, I'm like, okay. Oh, he's like, okay, you're Jesus now. And he was still the dog. And then he's like, he like, look at me. And he's like, ah! and he came up and hugged me. Cause I was, he's like, uh, cause he's like recognizing like, Oh, like, Oh, I'm like, Oh, like I created you. And then he comes up and like hugs me and stuff. And he's like really happy and stuff. Um, so that's that. Yep. Those are great. Well, where yeah. can people find you? So right now I'm co-writing season five of a podcast called Dissect, a long-form serialized examination of different albums. We now, uh, we are, season five is on um, a rapper named Kendrick Lamar. It's He has an album named Damn, won a Pulitzer Prize. It's the first non-classical jazz album ever to win a Pulitzer Prize in music. Really, really fundamental album. Very, very influenced by the by the gospel, by the good news, by the kingdom of God. Very different than Jesus King, and that it's not up, up front, the clear kind of spiritual evangelical tradition in terms of it being like a worshipful kind of gospel album but it's very much a narrative and it's 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 amazing it's political spiritual personal significance is astounding it's, it's really been influential for me in my own life and my own how i've really been transformed in these last few years so uh, i'm co-writing a season that's being actively released you can find that on on spotify wherever you get your podcasts on apple apple music and our apple podcast usually a week later um, a lot of the bonus episodes including some conversations i do with the co-writer they're on the spotify version and so i have an intro one where we talk more about faith and in, in the secular world and hip-hop we're going to be doing one this week we're actually we're going to talk about jesus king for a whole episode talk about kind of our thoughts and how it relates to what kendrick is saying and damn and a lot of the similarities maybe some differences definitely follow that see a lot of my work and other ideas and working in the idea of spirit of of, of biblical kind of teachings and understandings contextualized from the modern audiences through the lens of hip-hop yeah but that and then on top of that, I um I, I do a little. I'm not like big into social media, but I do. I am like on Instagram. At, like uh, my name is Oluwa Femi O L U W A F E M I on Instagram, um, and on Twitter Oluwa Femi O O L U W A F E M I O. I didn't do that much, but during the season, I, I, I'm there because I field questions and other things. And then um, I write I write long form pieces on Medium. Um, it's uh it's F and then last name so F 
O-L-U-T-A-D-E-F-O-U-T-A-D-E, um, kind of my first initial and last name. I work, I'm writing, I write pieces there too. Um, I have some of my old work and then, um, and then I'm usually releasing a piece that is associated with the podcast episode for Dissect, which kind of goes deeper into some of the spiritual themes and kind of teases them out. It includes some imagery, um, often stuff by the Bible Project. If you guys ever, ever watch their stuff, I try to kind of tie a lot of their videos and visuals and try to use that to explain some of these like larger concepts and also some kind of like iconography and things from like the kind of Orthodox tradition that I've been part of. So you can check all those things. Yeah, let me know if you have any questions or thoughts. My precious moment is that I had people over for dinner on Sunday and I made really good coconut butternut squash curry. It was delicious. And then we had a fire in the backyard and just sat out there. To me, that's like the perfect fall night, especially before it like gets into like I don't know, 20s or 30s, and you don't want to be outside for a long time. But my friend like made the fire in like two minutes and we just ate hot food. And then when we were done with that, lots of cheese and crackers, <laughs> which is a great way to end the night. And that was really just delightful and made me think I should have more fires in the backyard. But I'm glad that we have the ones that we have. All right, people can find me on Twitter. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. That is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, or everyone you get your podcast. You can find us. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. That's really helpful. And this podcast is produced by myself and Matt Lindor. And our music is by Sweeps. We will see you all next week. Bye. This episode of Quick to Listen is brought to you by the Wheaton College Graduate School. Respected and represented the world over, the Doctor of Psychology and Clinical Psychology at the Wheaton College Graduate School will inspire, challenge, and equip you to be a servant scholar for Christ and His Kingdom. Learn more at wheaton.edu QTL.